0: great to be here worshiping with you this morning. I mentioned before, I'm Father Morgan Reed, the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. Last week, we started a series in the book of 1 Peter, um, and we continue that that series today in the second half of chapter 1. Before we get started, let me pray for us as we begin. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. Well, this week, you probably saw on Facebook, we did some house projects. And I was thinking way back uh, to before the pandemic, actually, when we had moved into our old house in Alexandria. um, And when we moved in the previous tenants, when we were there, had left the front yard and the backyard a mess. The backyard was apparently a driveway for them, uh, and the front yard was just a giant mud pit filled with boulders, uh, large, well, paper stones. They were large, though. And, And over the course of about a month, one of the things that I did was I took all those gigantic rocks from the mud pit in the front and bucket load by bucket load, hauled them into the backyard, And in the back, I started to put them together into an order and made a really nice raised bed back there. And we filled it with dirt and grew beautiful flowers. Loved looking out the window at those zinnias. It brought me a lot of joy. The other thing that we did is we didn't want the back just to be used for a driveway. And so that was that. We didn't want the front uh, to just be a mud pit. So I took all the leftover bricks that the old Tenants had left, and I took those bucket by bucket and brought them to the front yard. And those bricks were all kind of uniform in size, and so we decided, let's build a patio. And so I got paver sand and the leveling sand and figured out from the University of YouTube how to build a patio. And uh, eventually, after about a month, built this patio in the front yard that served us very well during the pandemic. We planted grass out there and had a very nice front yard for a newborn during a period where you couldn't actually have anybody over. And, um, And so taking those common discarded rocks, I took these areas that were just mud pits, useless, A backyard that was a driveway and was kind of ugly, and we turned it into places of beauty and rest and enjoyment. It created a whole new quality of life, and we didn't even know that the pandemic was coming, obviously. Uh, And so, you know, these things paid more than their dividends in the pandemic. It would be a shame if after we left that house, the next tenants decided, you know what, we're going to go ahead and just use the backyard for a driveway and we'll just kind of take all those rocks and throw them all over the place. And we don't really want grass. We don't like to go outside. So we're just going to take out all the grass and just fill it in with rocks or mulch. That would be a shame. Uh, It would be a shame for those rocks and pavers to be all over the ground again, because now I know what the potential of those stones can be. And it would be sad to just get rid of them. Um, And and while that's not a perfect analogy for this morning's passage I think it's helpful when we think about uh, what these stones that were thrown away could be This is something God does with each one of us That we don't really know the value of what God has created us to be Until he takes us and redeems us And it would be a shame to be used for anything less than what he has redeemed us for it would be easy if you think about what I mentioned last week about the recipients of the letter of 1 Peter who had been uh, cast off and, and exiled over all these remote parts of the empire in the Asian part of Turkey. They would have felt kind of like castaway stones, like worthless because they're not at the center of where things are happening. They've moved away from their friends, things that are familiar. And, and they have this deep sense that where they are is not home. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but they've just got this deep sense that, yeah, I'm here and I'm existing, but man, this is not home. And so St. Peter's encouragement to them this morning is that they have been redeemed for a purpose. They may not feel like it's home, and that's actually not wrong. They're not home yet. But what they have got is a God who loves them. Just like we heard in Isaiah, God says, I love you, and I have brought you out for this purpose. So similarly here, God has redeemed a people. He's chosen them. They're precious to him. And this passage teaches us about God's love and his grace. And the grace of God gives us in this passage something to hope for. It's got a future orientation. It gives us a way to live. God's grace uh, gives us a foundation for a way to live. And it gives us a way to love. It gives us something to hope for, a way to live, and a way to love. So first, I want to look at the way that grace gives us something to hope for. When you read verse 13, what the writer says is, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a future orientation to this. And yeah, it's true. Being sober-minded means you're not drunk. That's true. Uh, it's hard to be sober-minded when you are intoxicated. But it's way more than, than just not being intoxicated. Uh, it, is, it is a manner by which we are encountering the world around us. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you're driving somewhere really familiar, and maybe it's not that far away, but you, kind, you get to the location that you're at, and you kind of go... I don't actually remember driving here. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> I know that I got here, and I'm so glad I didn't get in an accident, but my brain was on autopilot, and I don't even remember any steps of getting into the car and then being at this location. <laughs> happens more when you have a child that's under like five months, um, and, and you have like an average of two hours of sleep per night, and, and so that can be a little scary, and so that's not sober-minded. Uh, it's the opposite of that. There is a, an alertness, a vigilance to having our eyes focused on the destination of where we're going so that we're aware of all the ways that where we're at is getting us there. Our daily circumstances then remind us that, yeah, we're not home yet, but the things that we're encountering every day are part of the journey of getting to the destination. So there's an awareness that the future grace that's coming... Is actually somewhere present in our current circumstances that we're going through. And so, grace in this context, I love that it has a future orientation. There's a really different way to think about it than the way that we usually think of grace, which is right now I just am receiving something I don't deserve, which is true. But there is a future grace that is coming that orients us to the way things are now. And when grace comes, everything that's broken is going to be restored, all of our tears are going to be wiped away. And so knowing that grace will be fully revealed allows us to look at the current state of affairs, the things that we're going through, and to find glimpses of God's grace in our story even now. And so first, grace gives us something to hope for. Grace also gives us something, uh, it it calls us to a different way of living. So when we think of uh, what grace does, he frames grace in terms of holiness here. And, And it's holiness in contrast to versus the base passions that we have that lead us away from God. Um, appetites is another way of talking about it. The process of what he talked about last week, which is the salvation of our souls, not as opposed to body, just the salvation of our whole person, involves growing in holiness. The salvation of our whole person involves our current growth, and, holiness. and we're not just delivered from something, but we're delivered for something. There's this reason why we're saved. And holiness has a lot of misconceptions around it. And so it's good to talk and name those. Um, it's not just simply being nice to people. It's not just being good. God didn't just save us to be good. He didn't just save us to be nice to other people, as good as those things are to do. That's not what holiness is. Holiness involves Freedom from sin, those things that keep us from being who God's made us to be. It does involve a moral integrity, that there's a connectedness to who we are and who God is. That's holiness. So as we come to know God's heart for things and God's character, remember that he reveals himself as righteous. He reveals himself as merciful and loving, and he reveals himself as holy. And those things are all intertwined. And so we grow in holiness when we grow in the ability to express the will and the nature of God. Those things that, that we reflect God in, uh, his will and his nature, that is growth in holiness insofar as we are growing in expressing who God is. And, and I was thinking about a helpful analogy to kind of bring this down to earth a little bit because uh, that can feel really ethereal. And I was thinking this week about parenting, because that is where I live most of my life. Um, and there, there are a few times, it doesn't happen often. Um, one of the things we did early on is Ashley and I decided that we would, we would never comment on Cole's character, you know, whether he is good or bad, um, but that we'd focus on the things that he does rather than who he is. And so it's really rare that he says this, but there's sometimes where he says he's done something bad, and he goes, I was bad. Right? I was bad. Um, and he's not bad. That's an absolute lie, right? And so in those moments, those are moments where I get, get down to his level and I look into his eyes and I say, you know what? You, you did do a bad thing, but you are not bad. Um, you're my son, and I love you. Just like this Isaiah passage that we read today where God says to them, I love you. Like that makes a difference for who they are and what they're rooted in. So I tell my son, you are precious to me. You are loved. That's who you are. You're not bad. That, that would be a lie. And I never want him to internalize the script that he's bad because it's just not true. So I feel like sometimes my, my parenting job, maybe it's true all the time. My parenting job is to help him understand and tease out what it means to be made in God's image. And, and there are moral implications. So I, I'll remind him that in our house, we don't do certain things. Like, you can be angry, but you don't hit or say an unkind word when you're angry, right? These are something that, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel deeply. But when you do, don't do these things. Uh, and there are certain things that we do. Like, hey, you know what? You need to make sure you give mommy a kiss before she goes to work. And we pray before meals because we thank Jesus in this household. Uh, it's things that aren't intuitive that he has to learn. And, and we do this because by pushing on the things that he does, we want his heart to reflect God's heart. We do the things. We explain the things. And by doing that, we're giving him the right scripts about who he is so that he doesn't grow up internalizing the wrong scripts. We we were teaching him now that Jesus loves him, that, that he can help him when he gets angry, that he can take that anger away. And I want him to internalize that he is loved, he is cared for, um, and that he, and my hope is that he knows God's heart by being a part of the household that he's in. And so we had this really sweet moment last Sunday when we were cleaning things up in the church, and he was kind of holding the bottom of the Paschal candle over here, and I said, hey, do you know what that's called? And he says, it's the Jesus Loves Me candle. So... This is no longer the Paschal candle. This is now the Jesus loves me candle. And I was, I was so delighted in that moment because, yeah, I, like, I want all of us to look at that and go, Jesus loves me. That's the Jesus loves me candle. That's why that's there. Um, and, and Ashley and I have been trying to remind him over and over again in, in really good times and in really hard times through our, our, our songs that we sing together, through the things that we say with him, through the actions that we do, that Jesus loves him, right? And, and so my prayer is that that little statement that he said is, is in some seminal way the reality of the script that he's internalizing about the world around him. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. We sing that like I want all of us to just deeply feel that. And so all these things in some ways are all the things that you see up front are set up as these reminders of God's love for us. And so we need to internalize the right narratives um, in order to grow in expressing God's will and his character. Are we making space? To reflect on the right narratives about how much God loves us, who he's made us to be, where do we find his grace, because he saved us for a purpose, and we are beloved, and so we sometimes sin, right, there is sin after we're baptized, unfortunately, Um, Mm -hmm. but you know what, the good news is, is that your sin is not who you are, your sin is not who you are, it was not inevitable that you did that thing because you are hopelessly flawed, We shouldn't return to the things that are part of our old scripts because we were redeemed. We were redeemed for a purpose, and we have so much uh, of a greater reason for being. So when we fall into sin, we shouldn't come to the Lord and say, you know what, Lord, I am bad. I am just fatally flawed. There is no hope uh, for me. Why have you made me like this? Kind of on its extreme end, right? And so instead, what we want to do is internalize the fact that God loves us, that he's done everything to bring us to himself, that he wants to make us like him in, in his character and in his will. And so when we do uh, come short of that, we can come and say, you know, Lord, I've, I've done or I've thought something this week that is really short of your character. I've really I've really messed it up. Um, and what I need is healing because in Jesus, there is grace and there is reconciliation um, that meets us when we confess our sins to him. So we are not our sin. And the good news in Christ is that we don't have to be bound by it anymore. There is real freedom. So our sinful failures then are an opportunity, they're an opportunity to reflect and they're an opportunity to seek healing from the Lord. They're not an inescapable reality. And that's good news especially when uh, I think of myself as learning how to be a parent because there are a lot of failures. And so it's not inevitable that those are me. I can confess those and know that God's forgiveness is available. So we're made to express God's goodness and his holiness and his character. Anything short of that is, is something to lay at the foot of the cross with the certain hope that Jesus is going to put that thing to death and that he's going to make you new. So we've looked at the ways that God's grace is something to hope for. We've looked at the ways that God's grace calls us into holy living. Third, and finally, God's grace calls us to deeply love one another. So I want you to look around just for a second. God's grace calls us to deeply love one another. Look at who's in this room with you. Yeah, It's awkward, I know, it's okay. Um, but the thing is, no one can live out the Christian faith in isolation. That actually can't be done. Uh, It was never designed to be like that. We can't say that we love God if we don't love the very thing that he died to save, which is the church. Right? Jesus loved the church so much that he would die to redeem a people and make them one. So we can't live the Christian life in isolation. But, you know, the fact that you're all here this morning kind of means that I'm preaching to the choir. So good on you for uh, coming here and being a part of the community together. But it's such a good reminder, as you guys have looked around this morning and seen who's here, that each person here, as you look around, each person here is part of your salvation story. And that's really important. Each story that is represented in this room is connected to your salvation story. And there's something about... Having a relationship with you that I need to grow in Jesus, and there's something that you need about me to grow in your relationship with Jesus, and, and you know with one another as well. I love the way that the NRSB talks about uh, verse 22 here. It says, "Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. Love one another deeply." From the heart. Now, St. Peter must have been speaking in hypotheticals, right? Because, as we know, the early church was perfect and uh, they didn't actually struggle with loving one another deeply. (laughs) Nope. Uh, So, you know, give community long enough. And we are going to find something to disagree about, whether that's two of us or half the church, whatever. You're going to find something to have conflict over. You're going to find something that annoys you about somebody else like that. That is just the nature of being people in community together. It's always been true of the church. Um, it's most detrimental when their political power is also involved in the church fueling those conflicts. But it's always been true in the church, whether or not Christianity was the empire's religion. And it's going to continue to be true in the church because all of us are living in that discomfort of the fact that none of us feel at home. And and that God is taking all those things that aren't of faith in our lives, and he is purifying them. And that process of purifying them is a painful and awkward one that requires some level of conflict with other people. So having said that, deep love works through conflict. Deep love works through conflict together, and it wrestles through hard things together. And deep love is what St. Peter is encouraging This church to cultivate these readers who are kind of scattered abroad. Conflict is going to happen with you, you know, and it's interesting, right? You would think, well, they don't have time to fight with one another because they're being persecuted. But apparently even suffering local persecutions, they still found time to fight with one another. And I would imagine that this is true when things are going well as well. So he encourages the church to have a deep love. To cultivate that with one another. And deep love means that I am committed to your growth in Jesus. uh, And that you are committed to my growth in Jesus. That that's our commitment. There's an assumption that when you come to me and you have conflict potentially. That you know I am committed to your growth in Jesus when you come to me. And vice versa. I would hope that when I come to you and there's something that you're committed to my growth in Christ. And that's why love is both a comfort for the afflicted and it afflicts the comfortable. Because love is hard. It can console a crying child, and it can also call out areas of hypocrisy and injustice. Love does both. And love is committed to one another in those things. There's a brilliant New Testament scholar. Her name is Karen Jobes. And she's got a commentator commentator on 1 Peter. And she says this, We must work to recover an understanding and practice of love. Salvation is living in the way of love. Salvation is living in the way of love. The love that Peter has in view is neither a warm, fuzzy feeling, nor friendships around a coffee pot after worship, though love as Peter defines it may involve both. Rather, it refers to righteous relationships with each other that are based on God's character, which Christian behavior reflects. Peter describes the quality of relationships rightly, rightly lived in the Christian community as love. So, love and holiness are intertwined. They go together. They express God's heart. Growth in holiness means that we are growing in our ability to express God's character, which we looked at a minute ago. Expressing God's character means that we are able to express God's love If you just have moral uprightness without love, it's disintegrated. Um, And when you have moral uprightness without love, it's legalistic. Some people may have experienced that in the church. There's a disintegration when you're trying to be holy without love that breeds legalism and it misses God's heart. Love without holiness is also disintegrated because it's disordered. It, It doesn't free people from the bondage of sin that they're in and lead them to life with God, where they would actually discover who God is creating them to be. So love needs to be integrated with holiness. What doesn't doesn't express God's character with one another doesn't express real love. And so our work as Christians (coughs) is to do the hard work of integrating love and holiness In community, in fellowship with one another, in deep love for one another, integrating holiness and love. And then that refrains our our relationships in the church, in Christ. So if somebody speaks a a kind word to us, it doesn't just show us how great we are and puff us up. Uh, It shows us the impact, actually, that God is making on another person by something that we've said and done. And that's something to listen to. If then a harsh word is spoken to us in the church, I know that would never happen. Uh, But if if it does happen, then we don't have to take it personally. We're not bound to do that. Instead, that harsh word is an opportunity to reflect so that sin is dispelled. And it's an opportunity to engage in productive dialogue, potentially conflict, so that both of us are brought closer to Jesus together. But underneath that is this commitment to one another. Are we committed to one another? When somebody acts in sin towards me, I can give God all of my frustrations about that. I can lament and I can move towards compassion for them. Because I'm going to refuse to hold on to anger too tightly. Anger is useful, but not for too long, right? So note that that doesn't mean I necessarily entrust things to them. Someone earns trustworthiness that's different than giving them forgiveness. But I'm refusing to hold on to anger. So when I offend somebody, my hope is that they would extend forgiveness to me or the opportunity uh, to share when I confess my error so that we both learn about God's character together. A community then, what we want in a community is a community that together we are submitted to the Lordship of Jesus (coughs) and we are deeply committed to loving one another, wanting the best for one another, And we grow in expressing love for one another when we learn and and grow in integrating God's holiness and his love. Because we want to see who so-and-so can become in Jesus. Like, I want to see what Libby will become in Jesus. I want to see what Jody will become in Jesus and William. And so I'm committed to you in that. And we want a community that, under the lordship of Jesus, is committed to seeing that in one another. And undergirding everything, then, for the follower of Jesus is grace. It's something that we look forward to. It's, it's something that shapes the way that we live in our holiness and integrity. And it's the foundation for love for one another. And so let's become alert. Let's not go on autopilot, but being alert to the ways that grace is leading us, fashioning us, and the way that it's fashioning other people so that we can grow in holiness and love for God together as a community. And finally, let's reject the old scripts. keep speaking to us and bringing us back to the the old ways um, and, and exchange them for the truth of what God says to us as his beloved children let's pray Lord Jesus Master Carpenter of Nazareth on the cross through wooden nails you wrought our full salvation would you wield well your tools in this your workshop that we who come to you rough-hewn may be fashioned into a truer beauty by your hand, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit live and reign, one God, world without end. Amen. Amen. Amen.